Our scripture today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. If you would like to follow along in your pew Bible, please turn to page 27 of the New Testament. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the word of the Lord. It is the first Sunday in Advent, and for the Christian calendar, that means today is our new year. We start the new year, and it's a, a cycle of how we tell the great gospel story Liturgically, we do that in a lot of ways, but one of the ways we do that is through the colors. And so you see the paraments and the stoles change color with each season. This year, our altar guild has provided us with a new color. It's the alternative color to purple, which is what we used to have for Advent. But we also use purple during Lent. And so now we have this alternative color, which is blue, to uh, also distinguish the season. Isn't it lovely? Uh, the people who serve the, on the altar guild are, are great servants. Would you give them a round of applause of appreciation for all they do? Somebody said, the only reason why I wanted this is because it brought out the color of my eyes. I can assure you that's not the case. And now I need to address an issue of church division, conflict and strife, something that we need to talk about. Yesterday, somebody took me to the Georgia Tech UGA game. I took a photograph of myself with that person and I was wearing a navy blue shirt. And a lot of you were upset. You didn't invite me to the game. I'll wear the color of the date that brings me. That's all I'm saying. Let us pray. Creator God, we are thankful for the life that you have given us, and we confess now that we haven't always done well by that gift. We have been sinful, wayward, and unwise. Yet it is the deepest confession of our faith and the hope of our hearts that you truly have sent your Son Christ into this world while we walked away so that we might have reconciliation with you. Thank you. And we know that in this reconciliation process, you're cultivating in us something new and fresh. Thank you. To help us, you've sent your spirit to guide us as a counselor and friend along the way, to make us a community of care. And I say thank you once more, for we have sincere and great need of the gift. Send your Holy Spirit freshly in this very hour, for you and I know that without you, I can do nothing. Send your spirit to give us a spirit of anticipation, yearning, and hope for the coming of your Son into this world who makes all things new. 
It is in his holy and precious name that all people together say, Amen. I overheard once a young boy talking to his father. The dad was pushing the young boy in some red grocery cart in a big department store, and the little boy was so adorable. He had a Braves cap on, about two sizes too big, and he clearly loved his daddy. You ever look at a little boy who loves his daddy just looking up at him with doting eyes? That was this boy. And he had this beautiful way of talking. It was childlike, yet just warmed your heart. He said this. He said, Daddy, how much longer till Christmas? How much longer till Christmas? His daddy smiled at him. And he had the same kind of love for his son that his son had for him. And he looked him in the eyes and he got near to his son and put his arms right there on the edge of the cart, kissed his son on the forehead and said, only four more sleeps. Only four more sleeps till Christmas. What a cute way to help someone of that age understand time. Yet some things that we are anticipating are more complex. Like, for instance, when Jesus' disciples were wanting to know about when this kingdom business that Jesus has been talking about, when will that come to pass? Now, whether or not the disciples are thinking about a governmental overthrow of Rome, or rather this idea that Jesus is going to come again to fulfill one day in some future time God's kingdom in a spiritual and physical way, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they understood it to be. They just wanted to know, when is the change going to come? Jesus, how many more sleeps until your kingdom is here? His answer is strange. I, I find it difficult. He tells them that you need to be ready, anticipating, looking, watchful. And then he tells them, remember the people back in the day of Noah. They weren't ready. Only Noah and Noah's family they were ready. They were on the boat when the rains came, but the others who weren't ready, well, they were washed away. Then he talks about people at work or, or walking, and there's this strange and bizarre language about how one is vanished or one is taken away and the other one remains. Finally, he talks about a house that might be under the threat of some nighttime robber. He says, now, if a man of the house knows that he's going to be uh, prevailed upon by a robber, he would then wait up and keep watch and be ready for the robber. But if he doesn't and he goes to sleep, he's easily overcome. That's a strange passage. It's been a passage that's been used by many different traditions and churches and theological points of view especially when it's concerning something that some people call the end times. But before we go any further, let me just tell you what it's about. In short, I suggest that this passage is really just about readiness, watchfulness, and faithfulness, which is a good thing today because all of those are themes of Advent now, one interpretation of passages like this comes from, here's a fancy $10 theological term. It comes from the world of premillennialism or Darbyism, people who follow the notion of the rapture, 
where, as Ron Allen puts it, some are airlifted out of creation. It's the idea that Jesus will come again and take some with him and leave some behind. That's where that left behind series came from, that phrase, left behind. It's inspired that early Christian contemporary folk artist Larry Norman to write that song, I Wish We'd All Be Ready. This notion that Jesus would come and take some and leave the rest to fend for themselves or to figure something out. Now, I don't know if that's your belief, but let me suggest to you, I find it hard to bring that out of this text because there's really no systematic timeline for such an event here in this text. And also, being swept away and disappearing in these tales aren't necessarily good things. See Noah and the boat. I think Jesus is telling people maybe they need to be ready at all times because stuff is coming for them in the world, but be ready nonetheless. There are other interpretations. Some think, even outside of rapture circles, that we are living in the last days. Climate change, famines, and wars. Just look at the news for heaven's sakes. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've turned on the news one too many times this week and thought, gee, we're living in the end days. The signs are amongst us. I was once at some Bible talk. There was an expert, a really well-known expert, who's standing before uh, an entire large group of people like this on a dais, and he was giving a lecture about themes going along with this text. Somebody stood up to the microphone, raised their hand, and said, well, since we're living in, since it's clear we're living in the end times, and then, and I watched the speaker lower his head and go, why do you assume we're living in the end times? He goes, well, clearly we live in the worst days that this planet has ever seen. And he started citing things that are woes of the age. I don't even need to say some. You can say some. And then a speaker dropped his head again and then picked it up and said, the Holocaust, Hiroshima, the Spanish Inquisition. You know, terrible things that happened before our own time to remind him that maybe our age has got some competition. And then he said, penicillin, hospitals, reminding that person that there are good things about our age. Nevertheless, people in every age have looked around and thought that they've seen times and come to a strong belief that maybe Jesus is coming on tomorrow. I don't know. It's not necessarily what I think, but if you do, it's a good thing that you're here today because it's Advent. And Advent says watch. Advent says be ready. Advent says keep an eye out for the arrival of Christ. Yet, some of you might be more ambivalent about how to interpret this in light of the end times or the age to come. For you, maybe Christ's coming could be another thousand years off in your imagination, or perhaps you're even more metaphorical about it. I think about this as the, the day of the Lord is really something happening all the time, that we're we're the body of Christ on earth, and we're supposed to bring bringing in the kingdom of God through being the body of Christ in the world. And, and Jesus is, is always breaking into our worlds. Maybe 
Maybe that's where you are. I don't know. If it is, it's a good thing you're here on the first Sunday in Advent in church because you're being reminded to remember and to watch and to anticipate more of God in this space. Now, friends, if we were to truly live the Christian calendar, I suggest that we'd be a countercultural community big time. Because the truth is, according to the church, we're not in Christmas time. We're in Advent. We don't sing Christmas carols right now. I, I know we started with O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, but that's, that's an Advent carol. It's all about anticipation right now. It's all about waiting. It's all about looking for hints of the breaking in of God into our world through Christ. So, so we think back to nativity, and we look forward to another coming, but, but we're still in Advent. Oh, Christmas comes on December the 25th, and it lasts 12 days. It's called Christmas Tide. By the way, why don't you celebrate that? Isn't 12 better than one? I'm one of these theological nerds that on December the 28th, I go to a Walgreens to buy something that we need at the house, and I go in to talk to the cashier, and I say, how's Christmas going? And usually the person says to me, oh, we had a good Christmas. I said, had? And then she goes, how was yours? I go, still going. They don't normally get it, and it doesn't really make me feel better, but I do it anyway. Christmas tide is a celebration. That's, that's where Christ has come, and we feast, and it's great for 12 days. And oh, then after that, there's Epiphany, where we remember this great inbreaking of God in the world is, is also including non-Jewish people. It's including others. Oh, my gosh, if we followed this, it would be countercultural because in our own day, all of it's been collapsed and flattened together to be one celebratory time, and now we're supposed to live our cultural festivity, joy and sorrow, right now, and fast. But Advent, it's important to remember because it says, keep watch. Be ready. You need a time to get yourself ready. And I know the calendar is not the only thing that, that complicates it for us. We also live in a world that is incredibly distracting and it's complicated. One time, <clears throat> it was Christmas morning and my parents turned on the news. It might have been Fox News. It might have been another news station. I don't really know. It doesn't matter because they all do the same thing. And this was right after December the 11th. So anytime you heard the words breaking news, you got a fright, didn't you? And I was there watching the news, music was playing, so I couldn't hear it, but I saw on caption, breaking news, and my heart sank. Who is attacking us on Christmas? Breaking news. President Bush goes quail hunting with his father Christmas morning. Breaking news, too. President reportedly a good shot. Why are you laughing? This isn't news. And I remember hollering out how frustrating that is to me. And my dad said rather smugly to me, gee, son, it's like they want you to keep watching. That's true. It's true. I'm just telling you it's true. The world wants you to keep glued to the set. We live in a world that is full of distractions. You know, a week 
over a week ago, I went out, went without my cell phone for like, a, like five days. It was the most maddening and freeing experience. Freeing because, well, you can understand why. Maddening because our world was built on it. And so I go to the store finally after the run around, and they say, basically, you, can, you need to get the new phone, the new iPhone 11, which, by the way, I didn't even know they came out with a new iPhone because I don't watch commercials. And I came home, and my beautiful seven-year-old daughter, Marcella, saw my phone, and she goes, you got a new phone? That bothered me that she could tell because I can't tell it looks the same. And then she goes, you got the iPhone 11. She knew more about how my phone worked. I said, how do you know? She goes, it's got the three cameras. It doesn't have the one. And then I go, how do you know about this? She says, because it was on a commercial when we were watching TV. The world is built to get your attention and to hold it and to control your attention. It's a good thing, though, you came to church on the first Sunday of Advent where you're reminded, slow down. You're reminded that you're invited to a season of expectation, a season of waiting, a season where we maybe unplug just a little more, a season where we're called to maybe even dim the lights and to keep watch. And we start with our inner world. How is God breaking in? And we look then to the outer world. Where can we see Christ coming into this world? I was reading the great German mystic philosopher, Meister Eckhart, and he said this. I just thought it was apropos for Advent. Thus a person must abscond from his senses, invert his faculties, and lapses into oblivion of things and of himself, about which the philosopher addressed the soul. Withdraw from the restlessness of external activities, and again, flee away and hide from the turmoil of outward occupations and inward thoughts, for they create nothing but discord. If God is to speak His word in the soul, she must be at rest and peace. Advent says, be at peace enough so that God can speak into your soul. 